Well, good morning, everyone. Today, I want to begin actually in an odd place. I want to begin with a picture, actually. It's a picture that went viral a little while ago, so you might have seen it floating around on the internet, but it'll actually introduce us into what I want to talk about today. So let's take a look at it. I want to give you a moment there. Do you notice what I want to talk about? Do you see it? Or maybe this second picture might help you to focus in on what I want to talk about. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the art of being fully present in a world that is terribly distracted. I want to say that again. I really want to focus in on today on the art of being fully present in a world that is terribly distracted. And I use the word uh, art in relation to present, to being present with one another, because really being present to one another is an art. And all good art takes time, effort, and discipline. And in a world that is incredibly distracted with so much pulling on us, I think we need to be a little bit more like that grandma in that picture, just fully there, fully in the moment. Because when you are fully present to those who are around you, to what is happening both within you and the world around you, that's where depth of meaning is found. That's where life is found. That's where more joy and hope and grace is found by us actually being able to be present to one another. It really does give us a depth to our lives that can so often be missing in our distracted world. And while I have no stats on this, I likely believe that today our world is more distracted than in any other time or space before that we have phones that are constantly going off, we have pressures and technology that is asking us to just continually to do one more thing, that we are constantly being driven from one thing to the next. What I wanna talk about today is something that I do believe can make your life better, can make your family better, can make us as a church family better, and that's the art of actually being fully present to one another, of actually being able to be grounded and actually not distracted from the person that is across from us. And so today what I wanna do is I wanna take a look in three different passages of scripture primarily, learning three maybe t uh, practices or techniques to actually fight distraction so that we might be more like that grandma, actually able to fully enjoy what is happening right in front of us, to be present to those who are around us. And I think that this is desperately needed in our day and age of distraction. So to begin with, I want to begin with actually a story about Jesus. I want to take a look in Luke 10. And what we're going to take a look at here is where Jesus has an interaction, and it's all about distraction, actually. And I want to take a look at how Jesus responds to it. And if you don't know this, the book of Luke, it's really all about how do we serve well? How do we actually follow obediently and faithfully? And I want to read to you and just make a few observations on the story. So read this. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a, Mar where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. So she came to Jesus and she said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and to help me. This should make you feel good that if there's any dysfunction in your family, like, look at this. This is what she says to Jesus, right? Look at how strong she is. She says, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. These distractions, these details are drawing you away. That's what he's going to share with her. And he says, there's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. So here, here when we read that Martha was distracted, the word in Greek there is perispao. And what it means literally is two actual Greek words that are combined. Peri, which means around, and spao, which means to drag or to draw. So literally what this word means is to be dragged around or to be drawn around, that that is what distraction does. It actually drags us from where we are to places we don't actually intend to go. It draws us in different directions at the same time. This is what distraction does probably in your life as well as in mine. This is why sometimes you can find yourself like on TikTok for 45 minutes, never intending yourself to actually be there, right? You can end up actually being drawn there. 
This is why sometimes, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, you plan to go to bed early, you're just gonna check one thing on your phone, and you end up in like a dark hole of YouTube, like watching like uh, competitive Russian hand slapping. That's something I found the other day. These are things that can end up just totally distracting you. And you never chose to go there, you get drawn there or dragged there. That's what distraction does. It drags us in spaces and places we never actually chose to go. And that's what's happening to Martha. That's what actually is going on in her life. Martha here is being distracted by food, which in many ways, we don't quite understand the same way. But remember, this is a Middle Eastern culture. Hospitality is a massive big deal. Food was a big deal. And to not have food would be a slight, actually, towards a guest of honor like Jesus. And this was primarily then a job and a role for women in that day and age. So when Martha is feeling really pressured by this distraction of food, it's a legitimate one. You might not feel that. Our pressures might be different. It might be like YouTube, Reddit, books. I don't know what might be your distraction of choice. But really what's going on here is this distraction of food prep. It is drawing Martha away from the main thing. So she goes actually to Jesus and notice, notice she doesn't question her distraction. She doesn't question what she feels compelled to do. She actually tries to drag Mary into it as well. So she goes to um, Jesus and she says, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and to help me. Jesus though, Jesus, though, actually takes a different tact when it comes to distraction. And what he actually is going to invite her to do is to question her distraction, is to question whether she's really interpreting things right, to question whether really food prep matters more than what Mary is doing. So he says to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. You're worried, upset over all these details, but there's only one thing worth being concerned about. And so he says, Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken from her that the one thing being concerned about really is the presence of Jesus, the person who is right there in front of her, but she can't see it. And distraction is literally dragging Martha away from Jesus. That's what's going on. And so Jesus then invites her to really question her distraction, really to say, is this really how you want to be spending your time? What's the main thing that you should be concerned about, Martha? Are you thinking this stuff through? Because that's what we need to do when we start to get dragged or pulled or drawn around by distraction. We need to actually question it. Because what I think is really interesting here is Jesus points to the fact that Mary has chosen well. And the problem really isn't, follow with me, the problem really isn't that Martha has chosen poorly. Follow with me, the deeper layer is this. It's that Martha hasn't chosen at all. That what distraction does for us is it actually chooses for us unconsciously without us often even thinking about it, what matters most. This is the real problem with distraction is it draws us away from the core, main, big, important things without us even sometimes even realizing it. This is what's going on here. And so Jesus is inviting uh, Martha really to, really to question her distraction and just say, what is it you should be spending time on? What is it that is the main thing that is going on? What is it that is the true concern here? Because what often happens for all of us is our unconscious distractions choose this stuff for us. So the first practice that we've learned, if we want to actually be at all like that grandma in that picture, being able to be fully present to what is happening, just actually enjoying it and being in the moment is what we need to do is we need to learn to question our distractions that they will drag us away unconsciously without us even thinking about it. And we need to ask the question, where are they leading us to? Or what is the main thing that we should be concerned and focused in on? The second practice that I want to take a look at is really uh, similar to this. And this is from the Apostle Paul, and it has to do with thinking. Okay, so we've learned about questioning, and now I want to take a look at thinking. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5. Okay? And this passage, honestly, there's probably going to be a better passage for our day and age and where we're at today. He says this, so be careful how you live. Be careful how you live. He says, don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. 
He says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. So live well, live carefully. And then he tells us how. He says this, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. I'm going to read that again. Paul says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And I honestly couldn't think of something that actually speaks better to our day and age. That what we need to do, if we're going to live fully present in a world that is incredibly distracting and difficult, what Paul says we need is not only to question our distractions, what he also says is that we need to live thoughtfully. We need to live with intention. We need to live with purpose. We need to actually think about how we are living and what is it that we want? What is it that we are going towards? What is it that we are doing? Paul's larger point is really just this, that when it comes to living our life, that we don't magically drift into doing God's will. Let me say that again. That we don't magically drift into doing God's will. That just doesn't happen. To actually live thoughtfully for Christ means that we need to choose it. We need to live into it. There needs to be some purpose here. That's what Paul says when he says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. The problem is right now is that what we know is that actually we have so many of these habitual unconscious realizations and kind of impulses that drive us without ever thinking. Have you ever noticed how sometimes you might have picked up your phone before and like turned it on and clicked it off or been scrolling and not even ever realized why you did it? Or picked up your phone and forgot what you were actually looking to do? That a lot of this is becoming unconscious now. There's a huge amount of psychological research that is showing this. And today, I don't want to dive into the research. I want to dive into Paul's antidote, where what he says really clearly is don't act thoughtlessly. Just don't act thoughtlessly, but instead, understand what the Lord wants you to do. Because as I said, we don't drift into the will of God. We choose it. Paul actually then makes this point in a different way. He's going to say something in the very next verse that seems a little bit unrelated, but I want to unpack it because I think it's actually very clear and very needed. So then Paul says this. He says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. He says, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And there that word be filled, it literally means in the Greek to be continually, overflowingly filled. And this can seem a bit like a random jump for Paul, but it's really not. But Paul's point is just this. He's, what his point is, is that wine, what happens if you drink too much? What it starts to do is it leads you to thoughtless living. That what you do is you no longer make thoughtful choices. That all of a sudden wine controls you rather than the spirit. So what Paul is inviting us into is he's saying, don't be filled with wine, but instead be filled with the spirit. Make sure that the Holy Spirit is the one that controls you. Make sure that the Holy Spirit is the one that directs you. Make sure that the Holy Spirit is the one who prompts you in how to live. Because unless we're living thoughtfully, we're going to drift from God's will. So Paul here, I want to be really clear with this. Paul here is not against wine in any way, shape, or form. Just go read the Psalms where it says it's God's gift to human beings. Paul is not against wine. Paul is instead against anything that stops us from living thoughtfully. Paul's against anything that stops us from living, you know, reflectively and consciously about what God would have for us. So of course, that means like if you drink too much, wine will do that to you. But it also applies to so much more than just wine. It applies to our phones. It applies to apps. It applies to our working. If there is anything that we do without thought, without conscious intention, Paul wants us to consider, is it leading us in the right direction? Because what he's saying to us really clearly is that we need to live thoughtfully with intention and with purpose. And if we're ever going to fight distraction and to be more like that grandma in that picture, what we need to do is we need to live with thoughtfulness, with purpose, with intention, actually questioning ourselves and saying, how is it that I want to live? What is it that I want to be a part of? Is this what I really want to be doing? So today, today to be able to learn to live a little bit more like that grandmother, we've learned about questioning, we've learned about um, thinking, and then lastly, I want to take a look at a third practice, and that's the practice of listening. 
Now, uh, there's a, a researcher, and her name is Erica Christakis, and she talks about a current day phenomenon that is affecting many of us, especially if you have children, it's for sure probably affecting you if you're a, young, if you're a parent with young kids. And what she calls this phenomenon is continuous partial attention. This is what she calls it, continuous partial attention. And this affects all sorts of people. It's not only just with parents with young kids, but especially is true for parents with young kids. That what's happening right now, if you have parents with young kids, is like, like they, they're just with you all the time. Like, all the time. Anyone else? Anyone else out there? Like, I love my kids, but they are with you all the time. And so what ends up happening, though, when people are with you all the time, and this can actually affect then, like, spouses or friendships or people, especially in lockdown, where you're with, like, the same people, often, like, for extended periods of time, what can end up happening is because we're always around them, we never give them our full attention. Instead, what we give them is what's called this continuous partial attention, that we're, like, half there. Like, we kind of keep doing things, but barely look up from what we're doing. We might give, like, one-word answers to people. Like, we're never fully in the moment with the other person. This is what is currently happening in our world all over the place, and it's happening in my life and in our home, and it's likely maybe happening in yours as well, that there is this temptation towards just partial attention. And I think the antidote to it, I think the antidote or the answer to it is an ancient practice. You want to know what it's called? It's called listening, actually. I think this is what we need. If we're going to be grounded in the present, if we're going to be like that grandmother at all, if we're going to have healthy relationships with one another, no longer being distracted, but actually attentive to one another, one of the steps we need to take is to actually learn to listen. We need to be people who listen to one another. The Bible talks about the importance of listening in many different places. I want to read to you just a few verses, some from Proverbs and then one from the book of James. We read this in Proverbs 12, 15. It says that fools think their own way is right, but the wise, the wise listen to others. Right, this is kind of what Paul is referencing too. Remember wise people in our passage from Ephesians that the wise listen to others. Proverbs 18.2 says this, like this is, a, I don't know, a verse for today if there isn't one. Uh, Spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. We need to be people who listen. We need to be people who listen. And then what I want to take a look at here is the verse of, uh, in James, where you read this. It says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Is that not a, passion, uh, a passage for us today in our day and age? Is this not how we are called to live as Christians? Listen to what James says so clearly. Understand this, my dear brothers. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. That if we're going to have grounded, healthy relationships, if we're actually going to be better together, if we're going to actually practice family together, we need to be quick to listen. Where we actually give people not this partial attention, but our full attention. I think for many of you, you probably recognize this and realize this. If you want to have healthy relationships, good marriages, you know, friendships with, with your family, with your kids, whatever it may be, that we need to listen to one another. But something we often forget, actually, is we understand the important relational component of listening, but sometimes we miss the theological component of listening. And here's what I want to just point out that's incredibly obvious if you take the Bible serious, but needs to be at the forefront of our minds. Is it just this, that when it comes to God, our God is an attentive, responsive, and listening God. That when it comes to God, our God is an attentive, responsive, and listening God. Or to put it another way, that listening is at the very heart of God. Okay? That listening is at the very, very heart of God. That I think what we know as you know, just regular human beings is the importance of listening in our relationships. What we sometimes miss is that the very fact of listening makes us godly or godlike. Or another way to put it is holy, actually. That listening is holy. That if God is truly a God who listens to us, that when we listen, we then actually are demonstrating his very character and behavior. And this idea that our God is a God who listens is throughout the Bible. 
Probably the biggest passage, though, about this is in Exodus. Let me read it to you. It says this. It says, Then they cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God, and God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he looked down to the people of Israel, and he knew it was time to act. This passage in Exodus becomes really the grounding, the center, this idea that God is the one who listens. God is the one who is attentive to the cries of his people, that God gives us his attention. And if this is how God acts, this is then how we are called to act with one another as well. Listen to how it's put in Psalms. In Psalm 17, we read this, that our God is the one who bends down and listens. Or in Psalm 116, 1 to 2, we hear this, I love the Lord for he has heard my voice. He has heard my cry for mercy because he turned his ear to me. I will call on him as long as I live. What this verse means is that you can always call out to God and be assured that he hears you. Because our God is a God who is listening and who is attentive. Or listen to this verse in John 5, verse 14. It says this, And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. That we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. That because listening is at the very heart of God, we can be, uh, we can be confident that he hears us. And I think this is what we want, not only from God, but from the relationships around us. That what we know is that when we turn towards God, that he has turned towards us listening. We want the exact same thing with our closest relationships, don't we? That when we turn towards somebody, that they also turn towards us, giving us their full attention. That when it comes to becoming people who fight the distractions of our age, who fight all that's going on in our world, one of the practices that we need to regain is honestly a simple practice. It's a practice of listening. And I know, as soon as I say a practice of listening, some of us might think it's rather simplistic and naive, but it's also incredibly hard and so needed. Do you want to know what happened to me this week? I'm preparing the sermon. I'm working on it, right? And I feel like because right now I'm working obviously from home and Krista is catching babies all over, you know, Niagara right now. That's kind of what's going on. And I'm, uh, you know, working with the kids and all that sort of stuff. There was one day this week where I felt like I'd been interrupted like a hundred times. And so Asher bounces into our bedroom. I'm trying to work the door shut. It's supposed to be work time, right? And he bounces into our bedroom. And I just turned to him. I was like, bud, because it'd been like the hundredth time. I was like, bud, your dad just needs to be alone right now. I just need to work. Can you just like give me some time and space? And Asher says kind of sheepishly, he's like, oh, okay, dad. Yeah, I just wanted to come in and to find out what are you teaching people about God this week? What is your sermon about? What are you going to be teaching people on Sunday all about God and what do we need to learn? And like, hopefully you see the irony of what's going on. And that was kind of like a gut punch for me that here I am writing a sermon on the importance of being attentive, on the importance of giving people your full attention, on the importance of listening. And I couldn't do it in that moment because listening is hard work. But but if we're ever going to fight the distracted age that we are part of, this is the work that is absolutely necessary. We need to become people who give not our partial attention to those around us, who give our full attention, because that's what we see modeled in God, so that also needs to be modeled within us. So today, what does this all mean for us? Well, what we've taken a look at is really three things. That if we want to have relationships that are really grounded and are really full and have deeper meaning, that what we've learned is we need three things if we're ever going to actually be present to those around us, to be kind of like that grandma in that picture. That what we need to do is we need to question our distractions, that they will choose for us unconsciously what we should be doing. We need to fight against that. We need to question our distractions, asking, is this really what we should be doing? Then secondly, what Paul teaches us is that we need to live thoughtfully. We need to actually choose our actions with intention, with purpose, with real meaning. And then thirdly, what we've learned is that we need to actually learn to listen. That listening goes to the very heart of God, and so listening should go to the very heart of us as his followers. We should be attentive and open to those around us. 
So what's my main point today? My main point is that we need to be present to those around us. That's my main point. That if we want to have healthy relationships, if we are actually going to be better together, it begins with us actually being attentive and open and responsive to those around us. We need to be grounded in the present and to actually give our attention to those around us. That's my main point today, that we need to really uh, work on this art of being present to one another. But then practically, what does it mean? Well, obviously, I could just kind of cut the sermon short right here and just say, just go do those three things, right? Just go, you know, make sure you're questioning your distractions, make sure you're thinking about what you want to do, and make sure you're listening. And those are all good steps to do. I do want to encourage you to do those. But what I also know is that this stuff is hard. And there's almost like this gravity or inertia to our lives that makes this really difficult to put into practice. Like even as I saw, I'm writing a sermon on listening and being attentive, and I couldn't do it even with my son, right? It's hard stuff to sometimes put into practice. So today what I want to do is I actually want to give you one practice, one idea, one challenge to actually help you to put this into practice in your daily life. And that challenge is to actually do one thing and to practice one thing, and that's actually to take a Sabbath. Now, if you're unfamiliar with what a Sabbath is, a Sabbath is this. A Sabbath is where you take one day of the week and you actually live differently on that day to then make every other day different. That's what a Sabbath is all about, where you actually stop from working and you actually focus in on rest and on play and on connection. And really, the reason that we take a Sabbath is because God commanded it. And this is actually the very first thing that God said was holy, if you go and read it in the book of Genesis. That when God institutes this practice and the rhythm of taking a Sabbath one day off out of six, one day off out of seven, that what this is, is he says that it's holy, which means it's almost virtually impossible to actually live holy lives without holding to the Sabbath. And while the Sabbath kind of grew up within Judaism, there became lots of different rules kind of around it. But here's the basic idea, okay, of the Sabbath. The basic idea of the Sabbath was just this, that you were to rest and to focus in on your relationships and being present to God and one another. That's what the Sabbath was about, okay? That you focus in on resting and then being present to God and your relationships around you. That's what it's all about. So today, what I want to challenge you to do, to fight this distracted world that we are in, so that we might be better together and to have healthier, better, wholer, or as I said last week, even holier relationships, I want to invite you to practice the Sabbath. I want to give you three, maybe, ideas for how to do that. And they all have something to do with, you know, questioning, with then thinking, and then with listening. So first, when it comes to questioning and practicing the Sabbath, what I want to invite you to do is actually think through and to question which, what distracts you most, and then how can you overcome it? What I'd like to suggest to you for the Sabbath is that for many of us, do you want to know what our biggest distraction is? Do you want to know what the thing that most often pulls us out of the present, that most often pulls us away from the person in front of us? Most often the biggest distraction in our lives currently is what? It's our phones, actually, isn't it? That's what it is. There are notifications. There's this draw to them. There's this temptation to them. We pick them up without even thinking. We get unconsciously dragged away from what's in front of us. So what I want to invite you to do and what I want to challenge you to do is on the Sabbath, practice actually leaving your phone. Just practice actually putting it away. Practice not touching it if you can. Actually, just try to actually work this out. And if you do, what you might find, if you're actually able to do it, you might find that it'll feel weird, it'll feel odd, but I think it's something that we need to do. Actually question your distraction. Ask yourself, do I actually need my phone around all the time? Because what will happen is, if we are able to live differently on the Sabbath with our phones and other distractions, what will end up happening is that will change every other day. So I want to invite you to really make a focus on questioning your distractions and especially putting away your phone on the Sabbath. I want to invite you to try that. Second thing I want to invite you into is Paul's idea of living thoughtfully. On the Sabbath, what I think you should do is I think you should actually plan out how to live on it. I think you should plan out the things that would be life-giving and hope-giving, things that matter. Actually plan and prepare for the Sabbath. So what might some be some things you would do? Well, there are things that are either going to connect you with God or with yourself or those around you, things that are restful and things that are actually life-giving. 
So maybe that's playing board games with your kids. Maybe that's going for a walk. Maybe that's having sex with your spouse. I bet you most of you weren't expecting that one. But traditionally, that's actually what the Sabbath was for, actually. Because what the Sabbath is about, it's about being restful. It's about being playful. It's about being creative and intimate and close and connected. The Sabbath is about actually being fully present to yourself and to God and to those around you. So I want to invite you through. I invite you to think about what you want to fill your Sabbath with. Right? It'll likely look different than some of mine. But I do want to invite you to think through what might you fill your Sabbath with. For me, what it often looks like is coffee in the morning and a good book. It looks like a walk. It often looks like video games with my two brothers, actually. We do that online consistently. And there is always then homemade pizza and a movie as a family. That's what we do. And that's how we connect with one another. What might Sabbath look like for you? I want to invite you to actually plan for it, actually prepare for it. In Judaism, there are two primary ways that they do this. They actually first clean their house to welcome in the Sabbath, and then they actually prepare all the meals. So that then when Sabbath comes, you can just be fully present to yourself, to God, and to those around you. So I want to invite you to think that through, to plan it through, to actually live thoughtfully on the Sabbath. And then lastly, lastly, I want to invite you really on the Sabbath to actually listen, to focus in on listening. And obviously this means listening to God, right? Which is just another word for prayer. Spend time in prayer with God. But it also means listening to those who are around you. So for us as a family, I try to be much more focused on listening to my kids. This is why then we also have that family ritual of coming around the table and lighting a candle and prayer that I shared with a few weeks ago. For Chris and I, this often means in us having a cup of coffee with no phones and just talking to one another. I think listening needs to be a priority on the Sabbath. So for me, I've made the habit of trying to say yes to whatever my kids ask. Now, when I say yes to whatever my kids ask on the Sabbath, I don't mean that they get to choose what to do. Like that would be a disaster. That would just be like video games and ice cream the entire day. No, what I mean though is that when my kids ask for something, like, hey dad, can we play basketball? Hey dad, can we jump on the trampoline? Hey dad, can we play exploding kittens for like the ninth time in a row? What I try to say is yes. Because what I think listening does is it actually opens us up to be attentive to the person in front of us. That most often means that we say yes to what it is that they need. So I always try to practice that posture of saying yes to those who are closest to me, especially on the Sabbath. So what's my main point today? My main point is that we need to be present to those around us that we need to be present to those around us, that we need to live our relationships like that grandma in that picture, being fully present and grounded in what is happening around us. And what we've learned is three ways to do that, questioning, thinking, and listening. And the way I want to invite you and challenge you to put all of this into practice is to practice the Sabbath this week. For many of you, that means you can actually practice this right after the sermon. It's Sunday. You might be able to put this into practice today. I want to invite you to think through then how much you live out the Sabbath this, uh, this day. I want to invite you to really challenge you to put away your phone, And I want to invite you to really focus in on listening. Because I think, I think if there were going to be people who are fully grounded in our relationships are better, we need to learn to actually practice the Sabbath. And that involves us learning to question, to think, and to listen. And so with that, I want to invite you uh, to join with me in prayer here this morning. So God, I pray. I pray, Lord, might we live more grounded and centered lives. I pray, Lord, might we not be as distracted by all that is going on around us. I pray, God, might we be able to give the people in our lives our full attention. And I pray, God, would you help us to live this way through practicing the Sabbath together. I pray, Lord, as we continue to go throughout this, I pray, might you continue to guide and lead us in all things. I pray, would your spirit speak to us? And I pray, God, might we live more like that grandmother, fully aware and fully present to what you are doing, to what is happening in our lives, and to those around us. I just pray this all in the wonderful name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.